Good evening, good morning, and good afternoon, folks, to the podcast called Trapped Under Plastic. Wow. That was uneventful. That was so boring. Yeah. Try again. Uh, no. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Welcome back to the podcast for the miniature hobby enthusiast, my virtual friends out there in the internet. Oh, really? In the internet. They're actually, that's just a camera. I know. But then the camera footage will be They can feel my spindly finger tendrils wrapping through and around their monitors. Yeah. You are the Slender Man. (laughs) I'm the Slender Man. (laughs) You know, uh, I think it was Eric. He watched a recent uh, collab between me, Midwinter, and Squidmar, and he called me the Tom Selleck of Miniature (laughs) Hobby Fan. I think he was referring to my glorious... Oh, you right. stashed right now? Yeah, that's in training. That caterpillar that's just living on your lip. I'm trying, okay? I yeah. feel like you could do a better job. I can kind of see five I, uh, shadow. I just shaved last night. Yeah. No, you could definitely do a better job I, than me. I grew it for like five days, mostly because I was too lazy to shave it. Mm-hmm. It was about like that, so. Five days? Yeah. Okay, this is uh, this is the beginning of November. So three weeks, oh, about boy. three weeks. Oh, boy. I'm trying, okay? Right. I'm trying. So next November, we'll yeah. do it. Okay, sure. Yeah. The whole thing. Yeah, yeah. I'll See, be in. I have video evidence of how lengthy the stash got last year in November because I did the same mm-hmm. thing. And so I'll do a little side by side of this year and last year and see how much more of a man I became over a year. Let's see. <laughs> yeah, we want to really like hyper zoom. Yeah, like yeah, eight yeah, times yeah. zoom. Crank up the sharpening. You, know? <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> so you can see. <laughs> you need to go in there with a little bit of like a, like a brown rubbing tool on there to oh, maybe yeah. fill it in a little yeah, bit yeah it takes some charcoal and like kind of rub it on there yeah stuck yeah, yeah. it up a little bit okay preamble ramble let's start out with uh, a little bit of shameless self-promotion this is cyber monday this episode's coming out on cyber cyber i used to love cyber monday because i would buy basically a computer every cyber monday because someone i knew needed one and so i built it for them uh using their money of course oh, uh right. but yeah all the fatty deals uh on new egg and whatnot what <sighs> Anyways, John, the podcast, and myself are doing a flat 20% off all of our merchandise and products across our various web stores. So podcast t-shirt, John's Teespring, and my web store, everything's off. Um, You can find either coupon codes, or I know for my site, it's just going to be applied automatically. There's no coupon code needed. That's all going to be in the show notes below. So if you're looking to pick up something for the holiday season, now is a great time to do it. Yeah, absolutely. And we'll probably run that, what, this whole week, just so. Mine is going to end on Cyber Monday. So yeah. it starts Black Friday, goes to Cyber Monday, and that's it. Well, maybe for the podcast, we just want to have it this the whole week. Yeah, maybe we should have discussed that before rolling. Yeah, we're doing it now. <laughs> so, podcast will go the whole week, yeah. Sure. And I'll, I don't know, I'll probably do the same thing for my, well, you'll get a coupon. It'll work. <laughs> it doesn't work. Yeah, I mean. It'll all work out. All right. That's the first bit of preamble ramble. The second bit is John's hanging out on the stream today because it's Friday. Woo! Woo! This is so exciting. It's like, Yeah, it's really exciting. I took the day off of work. Heck yeah. I got a head of stuff on my my penny painting video here. This Penny little, painting? This penny painting. I did want to call everybody goody peepees at the start of the episode. Why didn't you do that? I for, totally forgot because you put me on the spot about what the name of our podcast is. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> that's putting you on the spot? Yeah. That's dangerous. Yeah. So for all our miniature painting goody peepees out there, <laughs> welcome to Tarped Under Plastic. Tarped Under Plastic. <laughs> um, yeah. So I'm going to be here and we're going to shoot this podcast. We're going to eat some probably chicken. Yeah. Probably chicken. Probably. Yeah. 
We can talk about oh. the, the, the <laughs> oh, uh, uh, we were talking about the merch stuff. Like, um, we got a new shirt. Yeah, we got a new shirt. So not only get twenty percent off, we got a new trapped under plastic shirt, and maybe we'll have the visual that Ember uh, can put on the screen right now. Right now, yeah, it's a it's a glorious homage to meat and potatoes and chicken tenders. Yeah. So you you asked for a tendy shirt. You, you wanted the best. You got the best. Uh, given to us by our lovely friend uh, called Ryan O'Brien. Ryan which O'Brien. Which is a fa- fantastic name. We met him at Adepticon, and he was the coolest dude. Uh, I think he came to the, the hangout that you and I had at, mm-hmm. in one of the rooms. And yep. yeah, and he like uh, we saw him like the rest of the weekend and were, was always chatting with him. So he's, yeah. he's a super fun guy. Basically, he became best friends over yeah. two days. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He also, he, he, can, he can like do anything. Right. Yeah, it's like... Can you? He can like video edit. He can like draw. He can like do oil painting. It's like he he does it all. He's right. awesome. I mean, he's he's got connections. Yes, he like knows people that knows people. I think he is the mob. Yeah, probably. you mean just like as one person. Yeah. Okay. He's his own mob. He doesn't need other mobsters. Yeah, yeah. But he's like super kind on the outside to right. kind of lull you into a false sense of security. Yeah. And then he guts you and yeah. puts a a goat's head in your wife's bed. Yeah. And and then he. He steals your grandma's social security checks. Whoa. Okay. But we went from murder oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. to identity theft. Right. He's like, whoa. Head in the bed. Fine. <laughs> Stealing grandma's 259 bucks a month. Not cool, he, he truly Ryan. He does do it all. <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, I mean, you're going to be watching this when the stream already happened, but sorry. <laughs> sorry, not sorry. Uh, it's going to be a fun time. Yeah. Um, Facebook yeah. group, 5,000 viewers. 5,000. Not viewers, Scott viewers 5,000 members man see that's the problem being youtuber i just think everything is a viewer <laughs> members you just call your neighbors viewers like hello viewers <laughs> that would be so pretentious <laughs> just to assume everyone is the viewer of my channel um so okay i do not frequent facebook groups in a lot uh, hobby ones every all kinds of facebook groups um is that a lot for a hobby facebook group 5,000 um for the time that it's been alive I think so. Okay. A lot of times for the the hobby Facebook groups, like the painting tips and tricks or Warhammer 40K painting or whatever, blah, 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 mm-hmm. you have a larger existing audience. So your area of, ben- of entry to understand what the group is, is a lot shallower. For us, because the name of the group is trapped under plastic, it is then associated with the podcast, meaning the Sprues and Spruettes are the ones that are going to be joining or going out of their way. Mm-hmm. So in a way... Our community is the best community. Obviously. Come on. Because they have great taste. Yes. Not only in fried fast food. Right. But also in their media consumption. Yes. As well. (laughs) Yeah. So I just thought this is kind of a landmark for us. Yeah, Um, definitely. And so I'm excited. And by and large, the conversations, the topics, the stuff is good stuff. Mm -hmm. You know, people really are asking questions and help and feedback or sharing really cool things that they've learned mm-hmm. i had one the other day that somebody posted that i was like that's freaking brilliant and i forgot what it was like a hobby tip or a like hobby a- tip yes okay. okay and actually i purchased something based off someone's recommendation on there as well it's this um <laughs> it's a it's a cup to clean your brush in uh-huh. but it has it's from like an art store but it has this metal ring in it mm-hmm. that it like spirals up to like three quarters of way up the cup and then it spirals around itself so it creates like this shelf around and the purpose of it is is that you will be able to clean your brush in the sediment 
that naturally accumulates in your water cup goes to the bottom. Yes. And then when you're cleaning your brush on the top of the, the soft metal ring, mm-hmm. your brush isn't ever like soaking up those things. Okay. Yeah. And I've used that and it's great. I okay. Love it. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of one of those things where it's like, I don't know if this is going to help out. If it is, it's going to help me in the long run and it's, it's not going to be something that I noticed. Maybe it increases the longevity of your brush an extra 15%, 20%. If right. that's the case, that's totally worth it. Yeah. And it's a cup and it was like 10 bucks or whatever. There I'm you like, go. what? Worth a try. Yeah. And I, worst case scenario, it does the same thing as my regular water cup. Exactly. Right. Which you don't need a specially special cup for this. <laughs> specially special. It doesn't I mean, need to be a special. giant pickle jar, don't you? Yeah. I used to use my giant pickle jar. Um, you downgraded? Yeah. It's it's smaller. It's like the size of a oh, coffee cup. It now. comes with the cup. It is. It's not like an insert. Okay. No, it's an all-in-one. All-in-one exclusive right. promo deal. Yep. 10 bucks okay i know and i learned about that from the facebook group see Fantastic. how we're bringing this back around excellent full circle excellent um i got a i got a couple of preamble ramble topics about, a couple i about I, my personal life i want to tell you about oh okay okay also i have one too i'm wearing pickle rick underwear right now so i'm feeling pretty spicy <laughs> is pickle rick a spicy pickle or is he a sweet pickle i would say he is Zest. a good old-fashioned vlasic just dill spear yeah he's you know? a dill spear yeah Okay. I mean, not spirit. So he's a whole pickle. Okay. Sure. Yeah. He's, you know, it's like in the back of the Jimmy John's before they cut the pickle yeah, and yeah, give it to yeah, you. Yeah, he is yeah. the whole pickle. Yeah. Okay. All right. So my first one is I broke off a piece of my tooth. Oh, shit. So I'm eating popcorn the other night. <laughs> oh, no. It's I'm like a- it always starts this way. <laughs> a broken tooth story always starts with I'm eating popcorn. I've never broken a tooth before. <laughs> so you I'm- just know of broken tooth stories? Yeah, I mean, sitting there uh, with my wife watching Man in the High Castle. Okay. If you watch that show. I don't. It's a good show. And uh, she had this dill pickle popcorn. Whoa. 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 Right? And I'm like, well, from Trader Joe's, I'm like, I better eat some of that stuff. I'm kind of hungry, <laughs> but I'm. I don't, it's later at night. I don't want to consume a bunch of carbohydrates, you know? Mm. And so I'm chomping away, and I hear a crunch. And you know, sometimes when you hit one with the kernel, you hear that crunch. Yeah. You're like, yeah, whatever. yeah whatever. I'm like, ooh, this is a tough boy. Like, I'm like, I keep crunching. Oh, At this point, the tooth had already been broken off and is still in my mouth. The whole tooth? Not the whole tooth. Okay. It's just like a, you know, like a shard. A f- sizable, but not Shard of tooth? Shard That's like a tooth. witch ingredient, dude. Yeah, I know. I could put that in my, <laughs> in my Santeria pot. Um, so I... Uh, I'm chomping away at this like this this corn kernel is not going to get the best of me. Oh. And I'm like, this is even harder than I had expected. And at this point, I'm chewing on my own tooth, but I don't realize it yet because I've never, you know, broken a tooth before. Yeah. And so I just swallowed the whole thing. Oh, you just turned into bone dust and then you swallowed it. Yeah. It's like, I didn't even, that tooth had was like, ah, you found our weak point. <laughs> You know, to chop me off, and the rest of me is solid as granite. You cannot break me. So I just swallowed it. So I got a, d- a dentist appointment next Wednesday. So it's a, it's a significant enough chip that you need to get your tooth looked at. Well, I was due for a cleaning anyway. I've kind of been like holding off with COVID. Okay. Because I'm like, you know, I just, you know, I want to wait till you know. the dust settles. Just procra- procrastinate that. But I was like, nope, with this, I called the lady up. She's like, oh, um, well, is, do you have a nerve exposed? No. And when she asked that question, I'm down in my hobby area, and I did the dumbest thing I could have done. I said, well, let me check. And so I open up my drawer, and I pull out my dental tools. 
that we use yeah. <laughs> for sculpting. And I grab the little curvy little pick thing and I put it back there and I kind of like dig around. Oh, man, I think this is whole five minutes is making so many people cringe. <laughs> I'm cringing so hard right now. Luckily, no no nerve like, whoa. You would know. I don't think oh, you would yeah. need that to know. I don't think so either. Yeah. I think this was like a day later. So I'm like, anything I, cold I would have drank or whatever, I would have known. And so I'm like, oh, let me just double check. That was a dumb idea. Why would I do that? No good could come up from that experiment. Yeah. Right? So I made the appointment. <laughs> okay, that's good. All right. I have one other real life thing. That has nothing to do with me hobby. and the dentist have a long history. But we don't yeah. even get into that now. Really? Is it a is it like a That's feud? A, it's a bad it's a bad history. No. I got I got some bad teeth. Oh, do you? Yeah. You got bad genes, dude. I so I like I brush a lot, I floss a lot, but yeah, I I have a lot of fillings constantly. Let's let's just take them all out. I've had this theory. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? Fuck real teeth, dude. Right. Yeah, like um, I, I know people, I have friends, I'm not going to shout them out here, <laughs> that have like all their upper teeth have been ripped out and they have a, whatever you call it, caps or whatever. Yeah, yeah. And then they can just pop them out or whatever you need to. Easy to clean. You just, you know, put them in your ISO alcohol. I don't know how you clean <laughs> teeth. It's a little simple green. But their teeth look great. Yeah. And they're always white. Yeah. And they're always like, uh, just, you know, why? Why can't we just find a way that we give a pill to a baby and they never grow teeth oh god okay maybe that's too far <laughs> maybe they still have their baby teeth yeah right but they, but they don't grow new ones yeah because your your jaw is expanding and stuff and you're gonna probably mess up your face your face is gonna be really funny shaped when you don't have the teeth to push out your jaw yeah so take that back. Yeah, messing with like the natural course of things is yeah. a dangerous thing to it do. It is. It is. So we'll let them grow those, but then just not adult teeth. Okay. I haven't thought this through. Yeah. We need I like the idea that you can give someone a pill that stops something from growing. It's yeah. like, I'm going to give you this pill. It's going to prevent your right eye from developing fully. <laughs> so you're just going to have one tiny eye and one big eye. <laughs> Like does it fit into like your your like your eye socket? Okay, anyway, aren't your eyes the same size that will always be when you're born? Is that true? I think so. I'm I'm thinking of a baby right now. Baby's got big old eyeballs. Yeah, I think uh, maybe. I'm glad that this is what we choose to spend our time talking about on the podcast. Yeah, this is fantastic. The the really in depth information. (laughs) Um, we'll have the scientists work on this problem. What we do is we bring... A <laughs> I can't so- believe we're still going yeah. with this. <laughs> we bring a solution, and their job is to go from today to solution. Right. Fill the, that the gap. implementation is their job. Yes. We're idea people. Yeah. Right. Yeah, we are the creative think tank. Yeah, yeah. We are not the doers. <laughs> exactly. I have spent most of my life trying really hard not to be a doer, to just be <laughs> an idea person. And then pass those on to the world. It's a good place to be. It is. Unfortunately, it's the complete opposite of what it takes to be a content creator. (laughs) You have to do everything. You got to be both, yeah. So you got to be the idea person and you have to do it. The executioner. Yeah. Executioner. Wow. I like that. Yeah. Okay. All right. So my final preamble ramble topic for today. So here's what I was, my brain was churning around and I want your impact or impact? Feedback. Feedback. And uh, maybe the Spruden's Bruettes feedback. Okay. So here what I, here's what I'm thinking. Number Choice number the, the first. <laughs> <laughs> choice number the first is 
I start working on a competition piece. Like I just, I want to have something that I can just spend time on to get my mind off of things, to not think about, as my wife tries to remind me, not worry about all the things you can't do, but focusing on something positive you can do. So for me, maybe that's starting a competition piece. You know, okay. not like I'm not going to finish it in a month or whatever, but sure. just like working on something. Right. That's option the first. Option the second is to start a new Age of Sigmar army. <laughs> I mean, hey, you painted the one, so like whatever. Yeah. I have plenty of other stuff to paint for that. So I could finish that. You have more boner boys? Oh, I have more boner boys. Not oh, a yeah. ton more. I've got Catacros, oh. big dude. I've got probably another 20 or 40 more tech guard. And I have five more riders, and I have a couple of heroes, maybe just one. Okay. But Catacross would be a thing there. So I like the idea of doing that, of either finishing that army or starting a new one. Now, Vampirates, as of this recording, haven't been announced yet. Now, and they might not ever be announced. They might, they might, might be not be a thing. Da -ba -da -da -ba. It might just be normal vampires. That would be even better <laughs> or worse, depending on who you are. Who you are. Depending on when you watch Pirates of the Caribbean last. Right. Yes. So those are my uh, those are options, the first and the second. Okay. Option the third is to start playing a new video game. <laughs> <laughs> There's a little game called Dota 2. Have you yeah. heard of it? Yeah, I've, I've heard of such a game. <laughs> I've heard of such a game. I'm pretty into it. Yeah. So that's the option of, you know, when you're feeling uh, times of trouble. Okay, okay. You know, Dota will save me right it will well it might not you know it might just make you angrier yeah well then the other issue with dota is when i played dota the the one time i played it really to like get good it envelops my life yeah like i think about strats yeah i think about you know so much to think about you know team comps you know i think about maps <laughs> item builds yeah you know, oh yeah farming patterns right <laughs> exactly all those things and so it's a, it's a slippery slope there yeah um it's a game of infinite nuance. It is. It's a game that takes uh, a minute to suck at and a lifetime to master. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, okay. So here's my feedback. Um, you could kill two birds with one stone and paint Catacross as a competition entry. There's it's, that. It works. It's a nice large scale model, but there is a lot going on with the four dudes. Three dudes on the base? Three or four extras. Okay. Uh, samurai dude oh samurai dude samurai that's so fucking dude. cool he could be your there, there that's your entry yeah I just paint him samurai dude. uh what about the the christmas present for your mom yeah that's a really good one and now that we just got our wonderful gifts in the mail from crazy winky wanky wanky not winky winky oh yeah winky's from perry potter manuel uh, sent us some lovely busts and also tons of chocolate so much german chocolate all right he's gonna get some right now um but yeah manuel fan of the podcast also a prolific display bust creator for hobbyists from germany crazy venki um john just slapped on a big old box of candies on the table i'm gonna pronounce these german names okay hanuta uh tofifi tofifi the Hasnuss oh. and Caramel with Nougat Cream and Chocolade. Oh, look at this super dick man. <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of uh, Jamaican rum. Uh, this is Nupperstück. 
Oh, Nuberstuk. I love that. Uh, Milka Van Oreo. <laughs> this is an easy one. Haribo. Oh, Haribo. That's a classic. Goldbarren. This looks like packs of microwave popcorn. It's maybe. But it's Aho Brause. Oh, it's another one. I think it's a it's a, it's a mixture for your drink. Oh, that's scary. Let's we should use this in <gasps> Can we mix this in the next drunken mini painting? Yeah, into the alcoholic yeah. beverage. Yes. And this is Volnus Rittersport. Oh yeah, that was a good one. Way to pronounce that. Thank you. I took German in high school. Oh, here's one more. Uh, Chocobons <laughs> by Kinder. Kind of sounds almost uh, Japanese. <laughs> oh, Chocobons. Chocobon. Um, and then a nice bread note. Style. You guys can't read that note. No, you can't read my notes. And then, oh, there's no actual uh, display plinths in here. Yeah, yeah all the plinths are elsewhere. Oh, you already scurried them away somewhere. Yes, yes, but yes. Quality of his plinths are primo. It's got a really nice mixture of materials. Yes. Yeah, some concrete plus wood ones. Let me let me get the one that I think I want to use for my mom's plant. Hold on. Okay, cool. Yeah. He takes a lot of knots that are, you know, wood knots and then uh, sculpts them into cool plinths and stuff like that. Uh, he mixes like, I have one that's like walnut and concrete put together. It's really cool. And uh, he has some bigger ones and they all have like nice little soft feet on the bottom too. Just gives it a nice finish. I like it a lot. Yeah, way to kill time. Thank you. I appreciate it. So this is one of the not ones. Yeah, so I think this is perfect for uh, a bust. So I even included this little rod. Mm -hmm. So you can like put the rod in there. And then because it's a, a, a druid, um, it's having this knotted wood and then this nice, soft, smooth backing that still shows all the rings. That's the word I'm thinking of, rings. Yeah. But then black at the bottom. Oh, oh man. Green. That's a good idea. I wanted to do that for... A video but maybe i just record it while i'm painting it even though it's i'm you know working on other videos and stuff your mom's bust my mom's or you could play doom eternal because that game is fucking lit it's liddy it's fatty liddy fatty liddy 5000 turn up yeah it's fucking amazing it makes you feel like a god is it like is it like liam vapes level of fatty yeah dude yeah all right yeah dude all right I'm sick cloud, dude. <laughs> Fatty ghost in progress. <laughs> all right. Anyways. Uh, all right. So there's that. Yeah, I also, Doom Eternal or a bust for your mom or painting Catacross as a display miniature for a competition. Those are my options. Okay. Those are my terms. I had that one built that I wanted to do for Golden Demon that I th remembered last night. Yes. My, my custom, uh, what is it? The Dark Eldar... Oh. grotesque yes that i even have the the base like 80 percent built too mm -hmm, mm -hmm. maybe i'll work on that too okay. maybe i'll do it all okay. and then cyberpunk 2077 will come out eventually yes and then i'm gonna be playing the shit out of that yeah so that looks pretty awesome so too. all right moving right along to the next part of our p cast uh the section we talk about where we what we painted yeah what did you what maybe do you have anything you wanted to show are you painted or you just want to talk about it like like hold it up and stuff like that yeah yeah sure i can show some stuff all right maybe i'll go over mine and well, you go correct mm, okay i'll try not to trip over any cables this time yeah i wouldn't, wouldn't bet on it <laughs> oh it's right behind you um so i brought some stuff i painted this time and if you're listening that that's okay you can find pictures of our stuff on instagram as well but um and pictures in the show notes probably i don't know 
Uh, I painted this little dwarf for fun. Um, he is from Durgan Paint Forge, and holy crap, does he have a lot of character to him. Um, it was just kind of a quick paint for D&D. He is my new D&D character, and uh, really excited to play him as well so it was fun i did him over you know i, I started at painting over at my buddy joshy's house and uh, and then the next day i finished him up but yeah i, I had a lot of fun why don't you fiddle with him a bit yeah i remember when i saw this on instagram i really liked the green in the uh blade of the axe um thought that was a really nice addition and it kind of just goes with the whole thing too um i see you punted on the other side of the axe <laughs> yeah <laughs> no one's looking at that side i mean yeah, there's still some a small amount of something there but i figured the angle of it and the light maybe it wouldn't hit much yeah nice rich red skin tone yeah we started with a real deep almost plum color mm. and then i just built up from there and uh i did like a plum and then just kind of like a mid-tone probably like like cadian flesh tone and then up to a mixture of like a pale flesh plus sunny skin tone mm-hmm. to not have it be too too white, although it is still pretty bright in the highlights. And then just went over with a um, red glaze on the nozzle region <laughs> <laughs> to get him with with a, a chimera red. So I like it. That was one thing. Yeah, it was just kind of one of those things where it's not like a super super speed paint, but doing like what did I call it? Like 70% ball sack or something like that, Yeah, yeah. you know, and finding areas not to waste a bunch of time on too, like the backside of that actually insides of the cloaks and stuff and really like working blends and building stuff up too. Okay. What's the story with this base? Is this this, this like an insert on top of an MDF base or something like that? Uh, that is green stuff roller. Okay. So it's a, um, yeah. So it's a piece of green stuff that I squished on top of an MDF base and then I used a roller on it. And so, I obviously didn't smooth it down around the edge perfectly because you no, can no, still see that line. Yeah, it's but fine. it's kind of chunky, a little bit thick. Yeah, the, the dimension of that. I almost wonder if I um, do the same thing, but either put a layer of Vaseline or something between the green stuff and the base, and then after it's like cured for about two hours or so, you cut the green stuff around the base to get the shape you want. And then you, after it's fully cured, you can pop it off so it's not this extra thick. Okay. That might work. That's an option. Know. Yeah, yeah. Seems like a lot of work, though. Um, and then I also painted this gargoyle, which is from an existing Kickstarter by 1985 Games called The Shade Collection. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just a series of kind of evil, iconic yet versions of models in that, that kind of line that aren't super common to find exactly so this is a gargoyle and i had the idea to make it look like he's in the middle of transforming Dude, given you've already seen him yeah you, <laughs> fine you can have him. um and so what i wanted to do is make it seem like either the daylight is coming and he's turning back or he is a cha- uh, chameleon right so like gargoyles can actually be like chameleons. So as they sit perched on something, typically being a stone building or whatever, they can camouflage their body. And he's in the act of getting up and somebody is about to get their throat ripped out. (laughs) And then you can see the true color of the demon. And I wanted to really have a stark contrast between a fairly 
bland stone and the vibrant um don't break his wings up. yeah I, was, I mean i touched it it was a little wiggly and i was like oh god um and a kind of a vibrant evil coloration for the demon himself yeah so you know i just realized looking at both of these pieces you are a fan of very very high contrast i like it yeah like the this this salmony pink right next to this super dark purple which i don't know if it's chimera violet because it's a little satin um it's very dark though and a very bright highlight this all of the um the demon color is 100% done in Chimera. Demon color? Demon color. Uh, why, why and, they, and this is ultramat varnished. It was shinier than that. I don't know what? why my Chimera was... You ain't shaking it enough, fool. I, I put it in this turbo mixer. Turbo I mixer. Turboed. Get yours now for nineteen ninety nine. Yeah, I, I like... One, it shows up better on camera, and it shows up better at a distance. The more contrast you boost, but... Oh, yeah, for sure. You know... You don't always, if you were really want to paint to like a really high level, you don't always go way over the top like that. Yeah, because this is more work for you to do, right? You have to you have to make a more of a transition between those two uh, values. Yep. But yeah, I think yeah, for like speed painting and for like uh, quick work, yeah, pushing the contrast without fussing with the blends definitely is the way to go. Yep. And gaming stuff too, like if you can find a way to oh, yeah. to fairly quickly add a bunch of contrast when you're looking at stuff at the table at four feet away it makes a big difference so yeah so yeah so that's what i painted what did you paint scotty um i started painting something uh in black and white um which i have been calling monochromatic which i don't know if that's the right term so mono meaning one chrome chroma is another word for hue Mm -hmm. and technically from an artistic standpoint, black and white, there is no color in that. It's true. Right? So is it monochromatic or is it something else? I actually don't know. I'll have to look that up. Um, but yeah, just a, a black and white experiment uh, that I'm trying to uh, to work through uh, to kind of test the waters on uh, how important texture and finish is when it comes to painting. So I'm removing the... This kind of goes along with our with our topic today. I'm removing the crutch of color, so to speak, to see if I can get differentiation in material without using it. Um, so right now, I've just painted the axe uh, head over there, um, the blade, and then part of the handle. I don't know if I painted the handle on the other side. Yeah. Okay, so yeah, some wood grain, stuff like that. And then I began to work on the head a little bit, but then I had a little bit of a mishap with the white ink kind of getting peeled off. Um, so I moved away from that. That'll um, happen. But yeah, this is this uh, this model is for it's going to advertise a Kickstarter for someone, and that that chaos got a little delayed. So I stopped painting it for the time being and moved over to a, a fun subject that I love a lot, and that's making little bases. Little bases. Little bases. So uh, I have a few videos like this where I make little bases, um, and uh, this time I went with uh, a. a a dragon's lair or a dungeon mm-hmm. with cobblestone and like uh, the remnants of people who tried to steal the dungeon loot. Yeah. Went with a football pitch uh, with a little bit of extra weeds and flowers and some blood. And of course the, the classic line. Of course you need that line. Need that line. And then uh, like a paneled sci-fi city with some like tubes running underneath the, the surface level and some popping out. Tubes! And then a swamp, uh, which I kind of did a swamp already so i kind of felt bad doing it again um but i looked back to a previous post they had in my youtube community where people were like telling me what bases to make and and they wanted me to do a swamp 
And so I did it again, but in a different way. Um, so yeah, those are my four bases. I love this. I love seeing them all together. I think I have 12 or 16. Now I can't remember how many I've made, but it's fun to see like, the little variety of, uh, of bases. Yeah. Even these four next to each other. It's really cool to see how incredibly different all four are. Yeah. Why don't you talk to us about these little cool little gemmy gems you got on okay, here? Okay, so the gemmy gems on the dragon's layer is nail art. Uh, they're little nail art gems that I found in Hobby Lobby. Now I felt like a little bit of a chump because I bought from a brand called Swarovski. Swarovski, and it was kind of expensive. And I bet, mm. I bet you could find them on Amazon for a third of the price. I'm um, sure. But these were the ones that were the smallest ones. There were ones that were cheaper, but they were like really big. And I was like, I don't want this to work out. Or this isn't going to work out. This is an example of one of those things where you know you could probably save money by buying them somewhere online. Mm -hmm. But having them in your hand and knowing exactly the size, the shine you know all that kind of stuff the color it's like it's almost worth it to not have to roll the dice on the thing that you order coming back and yeah being garbo yeah the wrong size um i was really happy with how i made gold coins this time around so last time uh sam was here uh we rolled the snake and milliput or some epoxy putty and then cut it into discs. But instead, this time what I did was I just used one of the styrene rods that you and I have. Oh, the yeah. The smallest one and just cut little discs out of it. So I think it's a little bit more to scale uh, with that methodology. I like that. Although yeah. it is kind of small, so maybe you can't really see it that well. That's something to consider. Yeah. It's a quick, quick tip. Yeah. Hot tips. Don't, don't got to do anything with like milliput, letting it cure and stuff like that. Right. I mean, the one kind of cool thing that I like from the um, outcome of that was some of them the coins became a regular shape. Yeah, yeah. And they had almost had like a cupping to them or a curve. Which makes sense, whatever. right? Yeah. Because well, coins are handmade. Right. Yeah. And they're hand stamped and all that kind of stuff mm-hmm. where that is. But if you were going to do like a whole bunch or a bigger pile, I mean, that way you can just knock out and yeah. know that your size is consistent. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, that's what I painted a little guy that I had for a long time and then I made some bases. He has a funny hat. He has a funny head-to-body size ratio. He does. Kind of like a chibi, but not a chibi. Right. Yeah, it it, it feels more of... Um, I don't even know what I was going to say. <laughs> <laughs> it feels like those weird, like, fairy tchotchke things that yeah, uh, like your, your mom yeah, or your yeah, grandma yeah. buys. Garden have, gnome. Yeah, those kinds of things that they're, like, made of porcelain and stuff. And Yeah, definitely. Ladies collect those. I don't know. Feels like that kind of whimsical nature to it, which is a cool thing. Sure. It's a cool thing. Yeah. Yeah. This is really, I mean, this is going to be interesting as you progress on this, because like you said, you cannot use color to make things easier for you. Right. Everything you, you will immediately recognize the level of, of highlight or lack thereof based on every kind of surface and its connection to the light source. Yeah. It's, it's going to be tricky. Um, What I anticipate is I will not fully nail it. And the concept will be lost on some people, <laughs> which is kind of par for the course for my more recent videos. It's like, yep. here's the concept. I'm not familiar with it. I'm going to try it. I didn't do that. Well. <laughs> <laughs> so they're like, well, that's not a really good concept. I'm not going to do it. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty much. Yeah. And that's hard to, I've been trying to find that, that middle ground too of, especially my recent dragon video of this is to get across that I'm going to try something new. 
and let's try to talk through what works and what doesn't work and be honest yet still try to accurately share why you're trying to do what you're doing even though you don't know how it's going to end up in yeah, the end yeah and like you want to create something valuable for people that can yeah. actually walk away with something yeah that's that's always the hardest part people are like make a video about nmm and it's like well what if i don't know how to do nmm i can make a video where i try and it will look like shit um or like any other topic like pick anything like there's a there's a period of learning that someone has to go through before they can like successfully educate on it right someone's like make a green stuff sculpting video and it's like you don't want that from me (laughs) (laughs) i can give you one and i could make something but maybe what i tell you is not the right thing to tell you because i don't even know if it's right yeah so it comes out of framing the video in the right way it's like this is an experiment i'm not an expert etc all right before we get into the main topic of today's video we do have a wonderful sponsor so scott i'm gonna throw out four words to you and i want your immediate reaction hit me with it gothic horror resin miniatures my reaction is bonerific wow (laughs) (laughs) you know i'm not entirely sure that that was the reaction that 1985 games had in mind for their counterspell miniatures shade collection kickstarter (laughs) but i guess they'll probably take it as a compliment yeah Live on Kickstarter now, the Shade Collection is a line of horrifyingly beautiful resin miniatures focusing on both gothic horror staples like the always badass werewolf and vampire, as well as the unique nightmare-inducing models like the bone behemoth, and also something simply known as the curious. Ooh. Ooh. These 28mm figures are perfect for your gothic horror D&D campaign. And they work great with the best D&D book, in my experience, that's come out for years, The Curse of Strahd. Mm. And they're also great for those of you who just like to paint unique, high-quality minis, and you don't want to break the bank in order to do so. You know, John brought the miniatures over from the Kickstarter, and we were just taking a look at the vampire one, and we'll have some close-up shots of this on the screen right now. But the casting quality, for the scale it is, is truly awesome. They did a really good job with their caster. I'd be a liar if I said Galgahan, Breaker of Men, the miniature on the Kickstarter, didn't make me uh, moister than an oyster. Uh, check out is simple. The way it works on the Kickstarter is you sum up all the miniatures that you want and then enter that price into the single custom tier on the Kickstarter page. They also have a special deal going on with the Kickstarter, which is kind of a rarity these days. For every 50 bucks you spend on the Kickstarter, you get $7 redos and 50 cents mm. to spend in the backer kit for free yeah. after the campaign ends. And this is real money. This is not like John Bucks, right? Right. A big thank you to Counterspell Managers for supporting the podcast and YouTubers alike and for bringing more evil into the world, no matter how small it may be. All right, back to the episode. All right, so our topic for today's episode is mini painting crutches. Mm. And this topic was brought to us by our patron with the beautiful name of Nick Gunn. Yeah, what a visceral name. Yeah, like he should be in a Die Hard movie. (laughs) (laughs) Fun fact, I haven't seen a single Die Hard movie. Oh man, we need to do a we need to do a sleepover around Christmas time. With Jam Jams? With Jam Jams, and we watch die hard let's do it and eat snacks okay yeah i like it okay put it we'll do a live stream we'll we'll oh man do so many things (laughs) so many things that would be kind of fun all right we're gonna make a date of that we're gonna figure that those deets out okay so 
Mini painting crutches. And I, there's a little bit of a caveat, and I think this might have been my addition. Yeah. What are they? Are they bad, in quotations? Yes. And do they still have a place in your painting if you want to improve? Yeah. Okay. Very good questions. I think that segue into a caveat that I want to say. Most of the crutches that I'm going to bring up, none of them are bad. There are things that I would use uh, when painting in a certain style. There are things that beginners do as a transitional step into something more complicated. Um, so I'm going to say that none of them are bad. Yeah. Can I can I caveat in addition to your caveat? You're going to caveat my caveat? Uh, I'm not going to caveat your caveat. I'm going to have an additional caveat. Additional caveat. Okay. Right. It's right. PSS. Okay. 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 Um, none of the things we talk about. Maybe I'm just going to say the same thing you're going to say. Nunya. Nunya business. None of these things um, are things you should entirely throw out the window and never do. Yeah. Each one of these things that we're talking about in the right hands can be done really well and is not a crutch. But sure. we're going to try to frame them in the way that they can be a crutch. Yeah. Is that, I think that's accurate? Sure. It's accurate. Accurate. All right. I have things that go from the the, the Pacific <laughs> to the fucking Atlantic. Atlantic. <laughs> right, right. The specific to the more general. But do you have one you want to kick us off with? Yeah, sure. I got a couple ideas. You got couples. All right. We're going to say the same shit, but I, we are. We yeah. haven't talked about this at all yet. Yes. Which is to kind of lift back the curtain a bit. Maybe we've talked about this before. We purposely, especially around the main topic of an episode, do not discuss it with each other prior. <laughs> Because we want to be as surprised as you as the bullshit <laughs> that comes out of each other's mouth. <laughs> All right. First crutch. You've got this one for sure. I think is washes. Out the park. Yeah. You got it. Hit it. Yeah. So, okay. Here's the thing with washes. Uh, washes and GW kind of coined the term for a product called shades. It's just like a... It's like an easy solution to the entire problem of shading a miniature, right? Sure. So a wash is designed to settle in the recesses and give you dark panel lines and stuff like that, or at least more than you would have if you didn't apply one for, for really cheap. And obviously it's, it's, it's really easy to do. And I use washes all the time. Um, but it makes people turn off their brain to the entire idea of applying shade in a more of a manual way. Right. Right. Uh, it, it closes off that uh, that question that people ask where it's like, well, do I start on the midtone, then develop shadow, then go to the highlight? Do I start on a shadow, go to the midtone, then the highlight? So that, that entire question is just gone. It's just like I'm this idea of how I approach a miniature. So I'm going to hit it with my midtone and then I'm going to wash it. And then I'm going to do highlights, whatever the highlight process looks like. Um, yeah. So that, that that's a crutch for me, 100%. Yeah. And I think with shades or washes, however you want to coin the term we're kind of using them interchangeably here yeah is what it does is it gets you to not have to think about where a shadow would naturally be mm -hmm. and so your brain is kind of checking out of that process so when we talk about this being a crutch your phone is going bananas or is it mine oh i got a call let's take this live <laughs> <laughs> uh that is an unknown number from the united states mm. the united states is calling me <laughs> Hello, United States. This, this is Nick. John. This is Nick Gunn reporting <laughs> for duty. Um, and I think this is probably going to be true for most or all of the things we talk about. Is 
allowing you to mentally check out of a part of the painting process. Yeah, absolutely. And that's where, to me, the crutch really happens is it's something you've set up so you don't think about new things. Or yeah. You don't think about the process that you're undertaking. And again, shades have their place. Washes have their place. But if your goal is to improve mentally checking out of the of the shadow step which is what this is accomplishing and you explain that really well is is a pretty big step we're yeah, talking about one of huge. the one of the biggest things with with minis is contrast in them um you really have a finite amount of contrast that you can work with so like on this dwarf his cloak is done with two separate layers of uh contrast paint so it was just zenithal highlighted and then i used i think it was the snake bite leather and i put that over the whole thing and that showed me where the shadow was and then i took a another one of their shades no yeah another one of their like deeper green maybe dark angels green or something yeah and then where that showed me the shadows were I then took a thinned down version of that and reinforced those shadows and made them stronger. And then I didn't use that one like a wash. I used that one as a controlled shading. And then I built up the highlights back up naturally. But if you just go through and just wash a whole surface, like my first step here, and say those shadows are what they are and that's what they're supposed to be, you're kind of doing yourself a disservice of that next step was super fast. And it was like a coloring book. I already saw where the, the shadows actually were. I just wanted to enforce the those and not have to go over the whole surface. Okay. And what's showing you where the shadows naturally are is not where the contrast paint is settling. It's where the zenithal light of the undercoat hit, right? right? So like where a wash pools is not necessarily where a shadow is going to develop naturally. And this is the part of washes that is also kind of a crutch. It's like you're just assuming that it's going to do the thinking for you. And it's it's dumb because it's easy and good, but it's not going to be 100% accurate all the time. It doesn't replace looking at your model, dissolving it into 3D volumes, and then understanding where your light source is, understanding the character of your light source, and then being able to know where light and shadow is based on those factors. A wash isn't going to be able to know all that information uh, but it's able to apply very easily and get you a, a fast result, um, albeit just not perfect. Sure. I just had an idea. As we're, you know, we're idea guys here, right? Yeah. We want to problem solve. Big ideas, big brains. I don't want us to just give a list of what the crutches are in this episode. Uh, what if we also said, if this is something that you find yourself doing a lot, it doesn't mean you're a terrible person no maybe you're not yeah yeah that, it doesn't mean you're not a terrible person <laughs> um maybe we give a tip of how to lean off of that crutch maybe the first step that you could take to try to improve or to yeah, slowly yeah. see that the next step of backing away from using shades all the time absolutely okay. what what do you think scott yeah okay um so i'm gonna assume that someone who's a familiar with the usage of shades is also familiar with the usage of layering mm -hmm. so what i would say is this instead of starting with what you envision to be your typical mid-tone 
uh, in your painting process, start with a two-step color lower. Just start with darker tones than you're, than you're used to, and then begin your typical layering process. Um, and then that darker color you start with will then be your shade. Yep. That's a great idea. And I've just started painting more and more. In fact, I think most or all of the minis I painted in the last couple months, I've tried this approach where I just start with my darkest color for every surface. As a base coat. As a base coat. Okay. Yeah. yeah. And why that's kind of tough is if you go under the the system of I base coat everything and then I start working individual surfaces, which there's nothing wrong with that. Your initial first pass of base coats on everything will look like doo-doo butter. <laughs> doo-doo butter? Yeah. Butter made from doo-doo. Yeah. What is the application for doo-doo butter? Uh, it's just a kitchen knife. That's how you apply it. You... Yeah, my, my brain just shut off. <laughs> Doo-doo butter. All right. I don't even want to talk about this. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's it's going to look weird. What I like to do is I work in to out. So for this dwarf, I use this. And I started with all his skin. It's the thing that's most on the inside and of the model. And the things that as I, if I were to do them later, let's say I did the, the, his all his hair and beard and stuff first and then did his skin i'm more likely to make a mistake and hit that stuff that i've already finished on the beard so i start with the most inside thing with the skin it i build that up it doesn't need to be a hundred percent finished i think there's something to be said about getting all the model to roughly 75 80 percent and then see where you want to push certain things to be the focus of the eye make sure your highlights are accurately balanced but if you work one th- one piece up and then move on to the next piece, it won't look like doo-doo butter <laughs> from the beginning. But you can certainly base coat the whole thing. Um, I think that is like step two in backing away from, from shading. Um, step one to me would be to use a zenithal prime job, which most of us kind of do anyway, um, but make it fairly... Um, fairly haloed so not just a strong light from one directly above but you kind of halo all the way around and then maybe put a little bit more focus on the face or something you wanted to have end up with more focus and then when you apply your wash um, as long as you don't completely destroy that zenithal undercoat in your base coating it's going to bring where the light would naturally hit based on the model, it's going to give you natural more darkest darks and then the darks that were more upward facing will be less dark. So I feel like that's a good in-betweener step to help you work with the washes with what the light would naturally bring instead of what the wash is going to naturally just want to do on its own. What's the what's the deal with the halo thing? What are you talking I don't understand that. So the reason why we're not going just directly from above, oh, but we want to hit around... Okay, okay kind of at like a 45 yeah 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 from parallel to the ground that way you're not just having so much of it white and so much of it black there's going to be a lot of of layers of gray around there so that wash or the base coats will still have some higher level of luminosity than just pure black i just imagined you were just spraying the can directly down around the miniature and i was like what is that accomplishing but yeah angle it yeah. um another thing about zenith liner coats is go go harder than you think you need to go yeah i think a lot of people are kind of like timid about how much white to apply apply a lot mm-hmm. essentially when i'm doing a zenith undercoat i'm like 
the main undercoat is going to be white and there's going to be black left in the deepest parts of my model but mostly it's white or gray whatever color you want to use right um but yeah yeah because right. we use mostly white ink now yeah so we do a black ba uh prime job and then we do white ink which is beautiful if you haven't tried that and you had an airbrush do it yeah it's fantastic um but with that because it's so thin even though it's an opaque ink um i'll do the whole thing in the in a full halo let it dry for you know 10 15 seconds and then i'll go again with a slightly smaller area and i'll keep going i'll do five six seven coats getting tighter and tighter of what i want to want to highlight with the white ink mm -hmm. until my highest points are that pure opaque white yeah um, you do need to give it a little bit of time in between coats for it to dry uh, before you do that. But it does dry. Even though it goes on, you're like, whoa, that's white right away. Let it sit there for 20 seconds. You'll be like, oh, it's down to like a mid-tone gray already. Mm. So hit it again. Yeah. Oh, right. Yeah. It does definitely dries darker than it goes on for sure. All right. What's Did we the next solve the, we, we solved the crutch we solved of shades. It. Yeah, yeah. All right. I mean, there are there's going to be so many different paths to how you can like – inch into something like shading a model manually air quotes um those are just two options that that we have yeah there's probably and, more and again the 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 thing with shades is and i've used shades on competition pieces oh for sure yeah um but you know it's it's not to say that they don't have their place but you use them for a specific reason it's not for this is just the next step i do over exactly yeah all the surfaces or right, whatever right it's not a catch-all solution correct yep okay so my next crutch is is going to be something that people don't do and it will make sense when i say it right now <laughs> <laughs> thanks for the, the the warning yeah i was just deciding if i had to fart or poop sorry uh, i couldn't do both at the same time right um people not mixing paints together Okay. So you, I'm not saying you take paint right out of the pot as in you don't thin it. I'm saying you take this paint and then my next layer up is this next paint and then this next paint. I really want to encourage folks to realize that that is something that you have an area to improve on and that is to start mixing your paints together. What is there to gain? Okay. When they have two different paint colors, even if they're moderately close, they uh, when you do any kind of layering or blending, your eye is going to be much more apt to see the distinct differences from color A to color B. If you mix the paints, even just 50-50, and say there's color A and color B, and I'm going to mix them 50-50, and I'm between doing A and B, I'm going to do the combo. And I'm going to build up more slowly and gradually there. You get a much more natural look from that. And this starting point of just mixing A and B together is a start of opening a whole new world. A uh, whole <laughs> new world. A whole new. <laughs> um, oh, God damn it. <laughs> I need to just keep talking so you don't keep singing. Um, it, it's a whole new world. God, I, I quit saying that. Of of possibilities in what your colors can do for you. Um, I I just think that when I made that jump from just like, well, I know all my ultramarines want to be, you know, I don't know what color, ultramarine blue. Okay, and then the highlight I'm going to do Fenrisian gray. 
it if I do that as opposed to me creating a middle step where I start mixing colors, it starts giving me a realization of how I don't just need to work within the tools that were given to us in the store. Does that make any sense? Yeah, absolutely. What am I missing in this kind of part of this? You're not talk? missing anything. You're, okay. you're saying good stuff. Uh, I think everything you said makes sense. Um, also, I mean, if you're out there and you're like, I don't need mixes. If you're like saying this is, this is, this is too much, too much artsy fartsy for me. I'm going to challenge you to say that you probably are already mixing paint, just not in the way John is describing. So if you base coated something in ultramarine blue and you applied a highlight to it with even something, even anything below a hundred percent opacity of like Fenrazian gray, you are mixing those paints Yeah, because you're not creating 100% Fenrisian blue or 100% ultramarine blue. You are painting translucent Fenrisian blue on top of ultramarine, which creates a new color. Mm -hmm. um, so you have an intermediate step already in there. Heck, even dry brushing on top of something uh, and like trying to focus the dry brushing more on say the upper torso and less so on the lower legs, you are creating a blend between two of these things. So. Even if you aren't physically mixing paint on the palette, you are still reaping the rewards of mixing. And if you include literal mixing, you just get more control over your process, you, like more artistic direction and everything. So yeah, mixing is great. I do it all the time. It just kind of happens naturally when using a wet palette because it's not like a compartmentalized palette. It's like kind of this one homogenous thing almost. And so paint is kind of like, not unintentionally, but I will just intentionally start mixing things, using paint on my palette already to make a new color. I want to get up and get a new thing. Yeah. Yeah. I, th I think that, a well, uh, two more things you made me think of with your wonderful comments Thank there. you, John. Yeah. You're my ice cold hands. God, mine are also ice cold, so <laughs> it feels the same. We're dead here. <laughs> okay. Um, the first, The first thing is that the response or what you may be thinking is, but if I'm painting an army or I'm painting fast, all these things sound like extra steps. Oh, okay. Okay. Um, and to that, I'd say, well, oftentimes when we're trying to speed paint or batch paint or whatever, we're trying to cut steps so we can accomplish something fast. And in that regard, um, a crutch is something that is not bad in that terms, right? It allows right, yeah. you to accomplish your task, which is to do stuff faster. Yes. What I'm challenging you on is that in the mixing process, you'll become more comfortable with it and you'll be able to apply that to a speedier paint job or to a whole unit of models because you've spent some time learning how that works, what works for you and what doesn't. And you'll be able to do that faster. So not only will you be able to speed paint faster and not be like super intense thinking about it, but your final product will end up being better mm -hmm. because you've put a little bit of time into that. The second thing I wanted to talk about real quick is how do I start this if this is something that um, is kind of a crutch for me. I just kind of do like bloop, 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 three colors on the palette. And I first do this one, then this one, then this one. Um, the first thing you can do is when you have those three colors on the palette, just put a little bit extra space in between them and mix the space with the two colors surrounding that. So instead of three, you're going to have five. Mm-hmm. So that's an easy thing. The other thing I like to do is I like to take a number of paint colors that are kind of go-tos for me. Lately, that's often been the Chimera colors because in very few colors, you get kind of the full spectrum. Yeah. And I don't necessarily put them all out on the palette, but I'll put like a really good yellow, 
a good white, you know, a good red, a blue, and a black or something. Okay. And so to help me, I already put those colors down in the palette, even though they're not the main colors of my model. And so when I'm working on the blue of the armor, hey, there's a little bit of red there. There's a little bit of black there. I'm going to take that blue. I'm going to put a little dab of it over here. I'm going to put a little red. I'm going to put a little black on there. I'm going to mix them up. Simple as that. I've got a cool, interesting dark purple. Mm -hmm. I can put that in my shades, my shadows real quick and create some interest. The armor still looks blue. It's just much more interesting that it's got a darker purple shadow. shadow. And I don't have to go through this mental taxing process of determining, hey, what if I wanted a purple? What purple do I use? What should I grab from the wall? I already have the base colors on my palette and I just kind of mix whatever kind of comes to my mind at the moment. I don't have to stop my creative process by going to think of a different color or grabbing a different color. I just mix what's naturally there. If you put the colors out there that aren't exactly the part of the model that you thought you're going to paint, you'll end up using them. And then you'll have fun doing that and it'll become more natural for you. Hmm. So that's my advice. Yeah, yeah. And I think I can hear some of the sprudes and spruettes kind of crying out through the camera. I think we we think about having to go and think of an exact paint to use in kind of a programmatic way as being kind of arduous. But I think a lot of beginner painters also think of like mixing paint as that same equivalent thing for them. Sure. So I think everyone knows the classic combos that they learned in grade school about like, you know, if I mix, like you said, blue and red, I get purple. Um, but there are a lot of other things probably going on that are maybe a little bit more confusing and uh, maybe that kind of just scares people off of wanting to try mixing. But at the very least, what John said were if I have a highlight tone and a mid mid-tone, just mixing a one to one between those two to get an, an intermediate step, that's a fantastic spot to start. Yeah. At the very least. Yep. Um, and then when you get more comfortable, then you can just put primaries on your palette and go to town. Um yeah. Yeah, that's the, I have I haven't I painted like that one time, but it was kind of a failure because of the certain paints that I was using. Like there are like red braced uh, purples and blue based purples, and like there's a lot of things to t- think about when it comes to mixing from uh, primaries. Yeah, I um, feel your pain there. Where if you have colors out there and you want to mix them because you're like, oh, I I know that if I add red to this, I'll make a purple. Yeah, when it's not a single pigment red that you're adding. And it's not a single single pigment blue that you're adding it to. Yeah. And things tend to go towards a shade of gray or brown when you do that. Yeah. And so I get that. Um, But by and large, especially I find if you were going with something that is naturally pretty saturated as a color, uh, you know, so like a Mephiston red is a great example. It's just a really saturated red color. You're going to get a pretty close approximation to what your brain thinks it it should make Mm. um in another response to that of like understanding how colors act together um that's something that i find at least for me i get better at at predicting what's going to happen the more that i do that and i don't always need to know what's going to happen to still attempt it so i could read a book about color mixing and color theory and all that which there's a ton of value in that. Or I could put some of those colors out there and as part of this paint job, I'm just going to experiment. And that information, at least for me, I absorb it a lot better. Yeah, And it it helps me long-term to where eventually I'm not going to have to overthink about, 
I want to make a really lime green here. How would I do that? So mm. kind of happens naturally. Okay. Fantastic. Number two is done. Number two is done and dusted. Yeah, I have a number two that's coming later, but hey <laughs> poop <laughs> um we don't need to go over this a lot but i think a crutch because we talked about it earlier i think a crutch of managed painters is definitely is definitely hue it's definitely color um like okay i'm painting a piece of wood let's paint it brown without any consideration for what kind of wood it is what state it's in like grain texture or anything i want to paint an apple okay it's painted paint red because it's red apple it's like do you think about the fact that the apple is also very glossy is that going to impact how it's painted? So I think color is a huge crutch. And I actually wrote this in the script of this video. I, I get all my paint and I'm looking at the camera and I say, this is a crutch. So this this worked out perfectly for this episode. Um, I think people, probably more intermediate painters, need to really think about um, finish and texture a whole heck of a lot more than they are right now. So there's like two ends of the spectrum, right? There's like felt and mirrors <laughs> so in terms of reflectivity that's like that's almost like a, a, the two opposite ends of the spectrum that you get to dust and mirrors <laughs> no i don't know um and then there's this whole swath of material <laughs> jesus christ there's a whole bunch i won't say that word ever again it's a whole bunch of material in between those two extremes that have varying degrees of reflectivity varying styles of texture and I feel like when you're painting something, you need to think about everything, not just what color is this going to be. And I'm highlighting it zenithly, but you also got to think about what material is it? How is that going to impact the texture? How is that going to impact the highlight and shadow placement, the level of contrast, the highlight distribution, all these fancy words. Whew. So there's a, so again, I wouldn't say like a beginner wants to fuck with this. I think an intermediate painter like myself, um, it should start to mess with it and look into it. Yeah. You, what yeah. happened? This you? is where you fuck with the guinea horn. <laughs> <laughs> guinea horn. What's a guinea horn? I fucks with it. <laughs> um. Yeah, that's a lot to unpack. That And that's a big, like, I expect many of us, myself included, in hearing Scott's description there are like, yeah, but I don't even know where to begin. Yeah. Well, here's an idea for you. Go get the kitchen knife. Go get a sweater. Go get a jacket. Go get a, your leather, your your wife's or your sister's leather handbag. Get a bunch of different things, a bunch of different materials. Take a picture of it outside in a cloudy day or under a light source. It honestly, doesn't matter what kind of light source. Toss it in Photoshop. Toss it in whatever editor. Virtually any editor can do this and just make it black and white. And then look at each material and be like, notice the difference between them. You'll notice that, hey, the color blue, when compared to the color yellow made black and white, blue is darker than yellow. It has a lower value than yellow, even if it's the same material. Mm -hmm. So you'll notice that colors, hues have different values. You'll notice that different materials, such as a knife versus your, your winter jacket, is going to look differently in terms of highlight placement, in terms of contrast. So start there, do a little analysis, and then kind of take some of that thought and put it into one part of a miniature not the whole thing just maybe like uh, one part of it okay so you're saying when the color goes down if i'm just painting all this thing purple 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 <laughs> um and and i try to do that with the stone yeah you have a different texture on the stone the stone compared to him so a, a stone is going to have you know a lot more like sharp changes in light value because it's a different surface than a flesh 
right? Than a flesh. Than oh, a you flesh. mean like you mean like rock that, that's been like cut and like angular yeah. and stuff like that? Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. But even even if it was a you know like a statue carved, the the brightest highlight of that granite stone would look a lot different than the person that was carved to look like if we were standing right next to them because it's a different surface yeah so what we do when we paint is we often just take into consideration the color we're using for a thing and then highlighting up that thing yeah color what i use what color what i paint for this thing next to it highlight up that thing and yes. so we we kind of go through the same your aspect of a crutch here is that we go through the same steps regardless of what the thing is made of. Yeah, it's like highlight something top to bottom. Yeah. I would say, okay, so I, I, I laid out that spectrum in the beginning where it's like, here's the least reflective thing, here's the most reflective thing. When you get into the middle, say the middle 50%, there is, it's very difficult to differentiate these materials. And it's especially difficult on smaller scale things. Sure. The bigger the scale, the more possibility you have to differentiate these different kinds of materials. So I will say that. But the, the, the best example that I can see of this is when someone paints NMM and they have the right amount of contrast there, but the highlights are painted in the exact same way as everything else. Right. A top to bottom zenithal highlight. And it right. looks like a rock. It doesn't look like metal anymore. Right. And I have a perfect example in that case of when I was first exploring NMM steel that looks nothing like metal. It's got good contrast, but the theory about highlight placement and finish is not there, so it doesn't look metal. Ooh. And that works on all scales. You can make NMM look shiny on all scales. Okay. So maybe a to piggyback off of your the first step you can take to try to incorporate thinking about uh, the surface material and how it affects the color um, would be to do um, reference photos reference photos black yeah. and white reference photos yeah. yeah so get a so get a reference photo of a person wearing a shirt and so your next mini is they have their shirt on and their skin how how does the light affect that um, based on what kind of surface it is. And so then for the shirt, if it's an olive drab uniform, even though it's still going to have a bunch of highlights, it's not going to go as, you know, brightly lit from the highlights as opposed to the human skin. The human skin is very complex yeah. and very translucent and very reflective of light. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so. it's kind of oily and reflective. Mm -hmm. I would say instead of just doing a shirt, and someone wearing a shirt, I would say jam pack as much stuff as you can into a photo. Toss your hand in there, toss everything that you can, just to have a nice concentrated like uh, collage of different materials that you can kind of look at and just get inspiration from. You don't have to, you don't have to have it sitting next to you while you're painting, but it's just like, you know, look at it, note, note some things and take those notations and put them in a paint job. Okay, okay. Um, my next one, I was going to do dry brushing, but I think everybody was going to, think that we're going to do dry brushing when yeah, they hear about this topic. Let's, yeah let, let's let's circumvent yeah um and again dry brushing there's prime examples of how dry brushing can be done to an insanely high level yeah um but from a strictly a crutch level if it's just like this is my next step this is how i do all my highlights i don't think about other things yeah. it still has value you want to knock out 50 dudes in a night that's great um but if your goal is to improve okay that's all i want to say about dry brushing it's kind of the shade equivalent, right? It is. It is very similar to shade, just on the flip side of the coin. Yeah. All right. The next one I want to talk about, which is the last one that I had saved in my brain for this. My is, brain hole. Is a, is a bit more abstract. 
Ooh. And a bit more deep in my shallow brain. <laughs> <laughs> Take me there. Okay. I have a theory. I have a theory that when we start painting, and we begin painting, start painting for the first time, everything is new. Everything is learning for the first time. And so each aspect of painting a model is a learning in a bit of an arduous process. Okay, for some of us, it may come easier because we have some other history in art. Some of us, it can take months or years or more to really kind of get the basics down. Um, and when I say starting the process, the basics, I mean things like thinning the paints correctly, knowing how to get the paint where you want it to go, making sure you don't create too many um, mistakes in overlapping things, um, making sure that the colors look correctly and there is a bit of distinction between them. Having any kind of shadows, whether it's working with a, a shade or a wash or trying to do that manually. Every aspect of painting a miniature, when you start, whether it's the first weeks or the first months, is kind of a draining experience. And I don't mean that in a negative way. I mean that you are learning a new you know, kit of tools. You are learning a new hobby. You're learning a new experience. So everything is new to you. And so what naturally happens is that once you've accomplished enough of those things to a level that you feel competent, the natural reaction is to work on those things and to not get out of that area. You finally have worked up, you've gone through the pain steps to get to where I can create a miniature that looks pretty good. And because you've just recently experienced that whole learning process, that whole initial curve, you want a breath. Right? You want to be able to be like, okay, I could get paint on mini and complete something and it doesn't look bad. You know, it's, I know it's not great, but it, it doesn't look terrible like my first one did. And I felt like I learned some things. And so you hit this, the word is often used as a plateau and I don't necessarily want to mean the same thing in this situation, but you hit a point where it's like, now I just want to do what I've done here and enjoy it for a while instead of all the pain I had to do with thick paints and my brush won't go where I want it to go when I screw up the hairline and all these things. And I just want to enjoy this for a while. And that's where crutches are built because you get to a point where you're comfortable and you still remember the arduous steps of learning something new and how frustrating or or how like the product didn't look like in your brain you were hoping it would look mm -hmm. and so you chill there and so when we talk about crutches as a whole in this uh episode it's about recognizing that we're at spots of comfortability that we are sitting on our laurels and not pushing ourselves one little thing at a time to be getting up to that next little plateau yeah. And plateaus are often talked about in terms of like a uh, final quality or your skill level or whatever. I'm at, I hit a plateau. My, I, my things aren't looking any better. Well, oftentimes that can be directly routed to you doing the same thing. And there's, there is strength and there is value in repetition, but I'm of the opinion that you should continually being doing that repetition with the goal of improving on it from last time. What can I do this time to make it slightly better? 
but also slowly integrating something you're uncomfortable with. So getting off of a crutch means you've got to walk down the hallway without the crutch and it's painful at first. <laughs> you may only make it three steps. Your ankle's broken. You're like, why can't I have a crutch again? It's like, this is good for you. <laughs> right. You're building back the strength in that ankle. <laughs> you know, we're not doctors, so that's probably the wrong medical <laughs> advice. Um, but in order to get to a, a that next point where you're comfortable with a thing, you need to first go through the painful parts of getting there. And so to me, the number one biggest crutch, and all of us are guilty of this. No, not me. <laughs> I've never done this ever. You sound like Daryl. <laughs> Something Daryl would say. Fucking Daryl. Um, the number one thing that we do is we do the same thing and, and reach out of our comfort zone. And we stay where we know we can do a thing. And we know that if, as long as we keep doing this, I've seen the last 10 minis I painted. I know it'll, it'll look about like those. To take something outside of your comfort zone and be willing to try it. And oftentimes the common things are, well, I'm going to try non-metallic metal or I'm going to, um, OSL. Yeah. OSL. Those are like the two big ones that you hear so often. And quite frankly, those are not the ones I would recommend for 90% of painters. Yeah. I think something more, a more general approach should be taken. Yeah. Not so specific. I, um, I recently watched, uh, Vincey V's interview with the artist with the um, Cult of Paint gentlemen. Oh, yeah. Henry and Andy. Yep. Henry and Andy, who seem like swell swell lads. All British people seem like swell people, man. Yeah. They're just very well-mannered. Yeah. Henry seems a little bit more cutthroat in a good way. Yeah. Like, I can relate to Henry. Yeah. I like a little bit of cutthroat in yeah. my people. <laughs> um, Andy seems like the nicer of the Laverne and Shirley of <laughs> Cult of Paint. <laughs> Laverne and Shirley. And... I think that would make him Laverne. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> and, uh, but, but, uh, Andy said something in that interview that really stuck with me. And Vince, I, I think Vince phrased it into a question of what do you think is something that you'd, that you find yourselves recommending a lot to new painters or when you teach classes? What's the thing you go back to? And it wasn't OSL. It wasn't, Making non-metallic metal look good. Use a wet palette. Use, yeah. Yeah. It was really to be more mindful of having control of the brush so it does what you want it to do. It's all about the application of paint. It's the technical side of things. How you are technically applying the paint. He says, if you can do that well, everything else comes easier. Yeah. Everything else is possible. So, you know, when we say, what can you do to reach your next plateau? And maybe that is for this whole mini, I'm going to be completely mindful of how much pressure I'm putting on, how much paint is being put on that model. Am I make sure that my, I have the right amount of paint? Do I need to dab a little bit off? Is it going to bleed everywhere? Is it the right consistency? Is it too thin? Is it too thick? Am I having control over when I'm putting my highlights on? Is it going where I want them to go? Am I hitting that nice little ridge or am I missing it a bit? The more that you can actively work on that, the less you need to worry about things like OSL and things like NMM. Those will come. I'm not saying don't try things. If there's a thing that it's new you want to experiment with and try it, that's great. But let's not shoot for the peak of the mountain when there's a whole lot of middle of the mountain that will make us much better overall. 
So there is my high level crutch. So the crutch is settling essentially. Yes. Okay. The crutch is is settling instead of trying to improve. And I understand and absolutely agree with a balance there. You should never do something that is going to be so painful because it's just like when you first started. Again, this is why this is kind of a a memory that's trapped in your psyche that you don't <laughs> recognize is that when you started, everything was a pain point. Everything was new. Everything was frustrating. Everything was was really learning on the go. And when we get to a point where not everything is that way, just don't settle. Still do a bunch of things you're comfortable with, but try to add new things ever so slightly, focus on things ever so slightly to make your your bar, your standard bar, slowly be rising. Mm, okay. Fantastic. I agree with that thesis. I'm glad that you think so. <laughs> so I feel like every crutch is a specific version of settling, obviously, yeah. right? So it's like if I said like a crutch is like the paint range you choose to use primarily, that could be a crutch where it's like you should experiment with different paints to check out their properties when it comes to blending and opacity and finish and stuff like that. So like don't just use Citadel. You try using something else to see if you like that as well. Um, that could be a crutch as well. And we all have, every painter has crutches. <laughs> um, but mo- And most of us have, you know, dozens and dozens of crutches and we don't realize them. It doesn't mean that all those crutches are bad. And if you say, oh, you shouldn't just use Citadel paint. Well, maybe that's one of my quote unquote crutches. Maybe there's a dozen other things that would be equally or more useful for me to identify in my own painting mm-hmm. to work on instead. And then, you know, if I knock out a bunch of those crutches and erase the water level of my, you know, my quality, the paint brand I use is inconsequential because I'm so good at all these other things. Maybe one day I'll go and I'll check something else out. I don't feel like there's any one specific thing for, for all of us. We're talking about specific examples, obviously, in this video. Look within yourself. Gaze deeply with a mind's eye into your very being. Mm. That's some some sexy stuff. These microphones make you sound way cooler than you are in real life. Yeah. <laughs> I sound so much cooler. <laughs> you sound about as same. You sound. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. In real life, my voice is mostly like this. I wouldn't be your friend if it was, so. Oh, good. Yeah. I've been hiding it so hard for that's, the last That's the years. kind of person I am. <laughs> You're so shallow. That's the word <laughs> yeah. to describe Scott. Shallow. Do you have any other crutches? I just want to cast that wide net as my last example to cover anything that we forgot to cover. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think I got one more. <laughs> Hit me with your best shot far away i don't know how good it's gonna be but i think that people tend to replace accumulated knowledge via reading and watching of videos with actual practice Mm. and you kind of see this in certain people at certain conventions that are kind of like the people that know everyone and have seen everything um and take all the classes and it's almost like a replacement for just really hardcore practice yeah so I would say a crutch of miniature painters is to like uh is to kind of walk the walk but not talk the talk. Ooh. And so this is I'm not saying everyone hey, does did this. Did you have that backwards? Talk uh, to talk. You can talk to talk but not walk the walk. Yeah, yeah. I did I said it backwards. Whoops. Yeah. So 
the hot take of this episode is you don't actually ever have to paint anything. You just have to talk about it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I got away with that for a while. <laughs> um, still am. No, uh, yeah, so I would say, I mean, obviously there is fantastic information out on the internet, but none of it replaces actually taking that information and applying it to your own models and seeing how it works for you. Yeah. That information on its own is worthless unless you apply it. Yep. yep. And it's invaluable if you put in the hours to apply it. And I'd go so far as to say you are never an authority on a subject. If you've only watched a video on it and haven't experienced it firsthand. Right. And that's a little bit of a harsh thing to say, but I truly believe it. So I feel like if you're trying to teach someone wet blending and you don't have a a firm theory planted that you have developed because you've practiced it and looked into it, you are the wrong person to teach that thing. Whoa, hot takes. That's a hot take, but I feel like, yeah, if you're not teaching from experience, you're not teaching, period. Uh Man, you just... I feel a little mean saying that, but I feel feel like it's right. Is that right? You undermine the whole k-12 education structure oh wait how a history teacher is never a historian oh shit you're right i didn't think about that um a science teacher was never a chemist i mean actually there are examples my, my ap chem work. teacher was he yeah. worked for exxon mobile and he was a chemist yeah and those are oftentimes great okay wealths of knowledge but they Here. oftentimes suck at being a teacher let too. me let me okay that's fine i, I get the distinction I think there's a distinction here. There's the distinction in quantifiability. Okay. Two plus two is always four. Okay. But the way I paint a model is not always good. It's not always bad if I follow the same set of steps and so that show the same person. Person. So it's, it, there's a qualitativeness to it. Yes. Right. So I think in a field that, that is more qualitative than it is quantitative experience, uh, the importance of experience goes up. Yes. I think that that is a great way to dig yourself out of that hole. Yeah, no no kidding, right? The history one really got me. Ouch, ouch, yikes on bikes. Yikes on bikes, that's a good old Johnism right there. All right, all right. I, th- I, I think that your, the core to the crutch you're talking about in learning and doing need to be intertwined. Yes. Um, and... I think I actually, the thing that that's stuck with me most over time, I get more out of learning. If it's something I have already spent some time, at least the more time, the better trying myself. Yeah. Because if I'm painting an MM and I'm struggling with it, or I've developed some understanding and struggle with certain aspects and I kind of get frustrated or I'm not sure what to do here or how to make it better. And then I watch a video of Andy Wardle painting in MM and MM. I get it a lot quicker or it absorbs with me much more hmm. than the first time. I've especially found this to be true for me in rewatching paint of, painting Buddha videos that I watched when I very first started painting. And it's almost like I'm watching a new video. Interesting. Because what I take away in the things that I look for in the things that resonate with me are totally different right. than when I was new and hadn't done much yeah so if you want to learn more watch all of scott's videos three more times each and john's videos too i mean yeah you with the ads this. enabled <laughs> <laughs> um um coming back to something after you've attempted it yourself is great and it's a great way to push away from 
from the, that crutch. That's too. interesting. Yeah. I think my approach to videos would be like, if I'm learning something new, I'm going to watch like an introduction video to it. So I know like what direction to sail my ship in. Then I'm going to go try it. And then I'm going to like compare notes with other people's end results. Because like, I don't want to be just like waffling on something and I have no idea how to do it. Um, so I'll get like an intro, then do it, then, then, then do what you said. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's a lot of, wow, what you showed there looked really cool. I think I'm going to try that on my army. Um, what I would suggest is you do that because it was cool. <laughs> <laughs> but come back after you've done it through with one unit because you'll get better by absorbing a second time after having experienced it really me and john just trying to get more views on our videos right yeah now. we're just getting those click numbers up yeah yeah big time all right i think that does it for the topic for today hopefully you guys enjoyed that um hopefully we didn't sound too pretentious obviously we do these crutches all this freaking time we yeah. just we're doing it knowingly we're not doing it because it's our only option right right knowing your options being able to pick and choose based on what you're doing how fast you want to resolve i think that's important and not just defaulting to one thing uh yeah. yeah. Recognizing your crutches and, and being happy with leaning on them means you actually can get more stuff accomplished, more painting done. Yeah. You know, but just recognizing them and saying, you know what, for this one, I recognize this crutch I have. I'm going to try to lean out of that for a little bit. Yeah, just a little bit. And then the other crutches I'll still hang on so I can get this video, this mini done before the end of the day. I just see like this person walking around with like 16 different crutches and there's like a fucking spider of crutches. <laughs> <laughs> spider crutch. Spider crutch. <laughs> All right, out of the news. And we have a new jingle for the news that will play right now. All right, the news for today. Uh, Chimera is releasing two new sets of paint, six in each. What's this about? Yeah, so I just saw this on their the Chimera Facebook group, which is the place to be in terms of getting word straight from the donkey's mouth. Mm, the donkey being Francesco Farabe. Yes. And he's not the only one that, that posts the inner workings there, but he is, is very more? active. Yeah, there's, uh, there's other people that... I, I don't know exactly what their names are, but... Um, so... They have announced um, via <laughs> their Facebook group that they have these two special sets that are coming out, and they're each designed by famous artists. Ooh, mini uh, painting artists. Okay, they didn't say who yet. I can oh, come on. You I, can I, I guess, guess one, one immediately. Yeah, is it a is it a howling uh, a howling undead lady? Yes. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Um, I'm just trying to think of who. I would could make fun of that was a painter that when I when you said that I'm, I'd be like, uh, Matt Petro, he's a howling lady. Is he? <laughs> no. Oh. Okay, sorry. I was trying to think of who the other person could be. It could be Farabi himself. I that's possible. I feel like it might be someone before Banshee's time. Oh my. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I can't, oh man, I can't think of their names right now. It's kind of driving me insane. But yeah, okay, it doesn't matter. But yeah, so two new specifically selected sets of certain colors that they like to mess with. Yes. Are they new colors? Are they different than the ones in the in the first Chimera set? Yes. Might they include one or two of the original tones or is it totally new? All six are entirely new. Sick. Um, 
And from what I understand, they are, because that Chimera base set, you can mix any color from, I think, in theory. Uh, You can't mix things like cyan and like electric green. Well, you kind of can with the yellow and the green. You can get pretty close. Yeah. But like, I don't... Okay. So like, there's this whole like fucking thing about like primaries. Like in your printer... You have cyan, magenta, yellow, and black, CMYK, mm-hmm. right? And then you have a different primaries, right? So, okay. So, yeah. Uh, presumably, you cannot mix pure cyan, magenta, yellow, and black without just having those. Well, their primary set does include the yellow it and, does. The, and the magenta. It has a magenta. I don't know like it's what... A, it's a single pigment magenta. So it is. It but there are probably more than one pigment for magenta to make magenta. Yeah. Theirs is pretty rich and dark. I love it. I love it as well. I love I mixing use, it with red. I use a lot of it in that guy. They don't have a cyan though. No, cyan's just kind of like sky blue, isn't it? No, I mean, when I think it's of cyan. cyan, when I think of cyan, I think of like turquoise and teal. It's like a really vibrant color. Yeah, but it doesn't have green in it. I mean, yeah, it's its own thing. Yeah, it's its own <laughs> color. But anyway. These are proprietary mixes that these artists oh. use on a regular basis. Like the one example they showed had this really beautiful light olive green. It had what looked to be like a slightly lighter than mid-tone skin tone. It had this really cool like deep reddish brown. I can't remember what the other ones were. Maybe like a lavender kind of color. Okay. Um, so colors that the these these six paint sets, um, these folks really stand behind and use these kinds of colors a lot. So if they end up mixing them on their palette through the Chimera paints often, why not? You got some tummy <laughs> problems there, Johnny boy. Uh, it's I'm telling you, it, is, it knows it's tendy day. It's tendy o'clock. It's tendy thirty. We're thirty <laughs> minutes past tendy o'clock, <laughs> and uh, it. It, because they go to these as kind of their go-to colors, then let's package them up. And I think mid-December sure. is current state of the union <laughs> is mid-December that these will be launched with the goal of being able to get them to you by Christmas yeah, right. pending COVID postal issues. If, which, if it goes if it goes mid-December, no one in America is getting it for, for Christmas. It doesn't really matter. I'm not chuffed about it. No. I'm not, not chuffed. I'm not sad about it. Right. Chuffed is the opposite of sad. Is it? Yes. Okay. So you are chuffed about it. No, I'm, <laughs> I am, uh, what's the word where I don't necessarily care. Uh, indifferent. Apathetic. Indifferent. Yes. Sure. Okay. All right. Great, uh, vocabulary lesson. Thank you. Uh, so they're sullying the waters. They're, they're muddying the pigments. Yeah. They're, they're mixing the tones. Yeah. And then when you look at like, when my my brain as I explain it, oh, they mix colors to give you colors, your brain goes, oh, then they're just kind of like mixy mix and kind of boring colors. Yeah. But because Chimera is single pigment and so saturated, like these colors are like, they're great versions of colors that you own in other ranges because that shit is all mixes. Yeah. You know? Very sullied. You know, it'd be a great video idea, Scott, that you should totally do is you should see if you can, with Chimera, if you can mix every color in the citadel paint range with I just can't, those colors there okay there are see here's what i don't get 
I don't know with the other sets, they didn't just do more single pigment tones because there are more there pigments are more. to use. Yes, there are. So I don't understand why they just didn't do more of that. I, my guess is that's also coming because I heard of more sets on their way from them or an additional set on their way from them in the last like nine months or something. And then when this was kind of unveiled a bit, it didn't feel to me like it was the same thing. Okay. So they might be doing that as well. Okay, okay. Yeah, so yeah, it's a cool idea for a video. I could probably get close, but there are pigments missing from that range that would prevent me from like being right. able to nail it. If you had like a grab bag and you'd be like, you're like, all right, I'm gonna grab six paints out of this bag and I'm gonna see can I mix those six with I like just that. this? That's fun. Yeah, because then you have to don't do everything, but you get the randomization, mm -hmm. like piggyback on goobs. You know, <laughs> pull some, put them in little, little hobby roulette. Yeah, put a little, pull, put them in a little, little brown little, bag little. there. Yeah, you're going to take seven hours to put all your paints in a little brown bag <laughs> to pull out six. Uh, and then you got to take them all out before you paint again. Oh, my gosh, dude. <laughs> Goobs has got it right. He ain't touching those fucking minis in the bags until he actually painted them. Yeah. He just got this big old tub. I love the tiny little brown bags. They're cute. I know. I like tiny things. I, I want to go dump in those. <laughs> I mean. What? I <laughs> I'm gonna go shit one of his bags and hide it in there, dude. So he opens one. <laughs> What's wrong with you, John? <laughs> I said dump. I meant dive. Yeah, like swim in it. Yeah, I want to like swim in like the ball eggs. pit, dude. Yeah, dude. Dude, the ball pit idea with McDonald's and, and Ben Comets instead of balls, we got bags of minis. Dude. Yeah. yeah. Oh man, it's Goobs. He supplies Goobs. Have we you seen his backlog? Have you seen Goobs' backlog video? It's like forty-five minutes long, and he's just like looking through his backlog. It's fucking calm, that is, bro. That is a lot of minis. So, Goobs, you got to hit up Craigslist and eBay and get more of those baggies made because we got a whole ball pit to fill. <laughs> dude, don't whole fucking eighty gallon ball pit, <laughs> dude. Don't dive face first into that ball pit. You though. might lose an eye. Yeah, bro. there are pewter swords inside yeah, those bags. Oh, for sure, bud. Yeah, you're losing an eye for sure. Next for news topic sure. is GW. Games Workshop has shown off their Holiday Battle Force boxes, which I believe at this point you should be able to pre-order or something, something. Um, and so there was there was much consternation in the Warhammer communities about if they were going to even do that this year for a couple of reasons. Well, yeah, okay. One is issues with, with production and COVID because there are... It is fairly widely known at this point that they are severely behind schedule on releases for their games due to production issues with COVID as well as distribution issues. They are still going through distribution issues, understandably so, with the way the world is. Um, but typically, that announcement for the battle boxes would have come like a week and a half prior to when it did this year. So everyone was just kind of like, well, guess we don't get any. <laughs> but they showed them off, and they are bigger than ever. These boxes. Are they? Have Vinci V. I talked to Vinci V about it, just planted a little seed in his brain, and then uh, he went out and broke down the cost, um, the MSRP of all the models in there. And it's roughly, depending on the Army, 30 to $60 more or more worth of product in each of those boxes. So now... In savings or... No, no, in just in the in the battle boxes that we've traditionally gotten in the holiday season each year. They are 60 to $80 in product. More than previous years. So oh. if 
Last year, they averaged $230 with a product in a box. This year, it's right around $300 with a product in a box. And the box costs what? We don't know yet. As of the taping of this show, they haven't released the price point. So there's the speculation on are they actually going to be a nice Santa Claus this year and just give us more stuff for the same Battle Force box price? No. Or are they going to boost it? So here's the thing. GW does one of two things. Sometimes they'll put miles together like with the getting started boxes and they are discounted. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I feel like whenever they come out around the holiday season, it's not discounted at all. It is the exact same price as if you were to buy all the things separately. I don't think it's going to be any cheaper. Yeah. Well, the battle force boxes do have a, a price discount on them. I can't remember what Vince said, what it was. It was something like 20% or whatever really? over. If you bought all those units as individual, that's what I'm saying. GW yeah. Boxes. It is, it is kind of in the same start collecting vein of it's a slight discount. Okay. It's more of, are they going to just keep that same bar and the discount and raise the price? Or they are just going to keep the same price and increase the discount. We'll find out. In fact, it'll probably be known by the time this episode's live. I thought it was interesting to talk about. Yeah. And unfortunately, none of the boxes for Age of Sigmar do it for me. I was going to ask you if you had your eye on any of them. 40K ones? No. I'm trying to stay away from that game. Okay. Because I would just not play it. I would do stuff and then I I just don't have no time. So <laughs> I can't remember. Okay, so there's a there's a Gloomspite gets one for Age of Sigmar. There's a Caradron Overlords. There's a Zinch. There's a one more I can't think of. Is that there, a Boner Boys one? There's no death ones. Yeah, Boner Boys have never gotten a start collecting or a battle box. Rip. Yeah, um, and I'm missing one. But anyway, um, I think, see, if I remember right, Age of Sigmar got four boxes. Um, 40K got six boxes fatty jerks but i think like two of two or three of the ones for 40k are space marines so oh geez let's throw those out the window <laughs> there was no stormcast one this year though that was oh might be daughters of cain no i don't think daughters of cain because they just came out with that box that double box oh yeah snake it, ladies with slanesh v daughters of cain yeah mm-hmm. there's some two new models in that box look pretty sick i know yeah the snake lady leader mm-hmm. she looks a little bit too much just like a bigger snake lady I mm. wish she was a little bit more unique looking, okay. but the Sinesh dude is primo. Yeah, he looks sick. Pimp de jour. <laughs> <laughs> so that's what I got from the newsy news. You got anything else? Nothing. 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 It is almost, uh, at this point, it is Cyber Monday. Um, do you have any personal news of exciting purchases you're making regarding the hobby? No. You're not buying anything. I don't think so. Maybe a static grass applicator if it's oh, cheap. Oh, man. Dude, those things, I've looked at those so many times, and I was like, D, $70? Yeah, they cost a lot, and they're single purpose, so that's why it kind of kills me. Yeah, but they do their job really quite well. well. Yeah. Whenever I watch Luke Toen video, I'm like, yeah, I need one of those. You can make your own tufts, too, dude. Like, say you put little blobs down on yeah. wax paper, and then you make them, you can pop them right off, and they're tufts. You dude. never need to buy tufts of your own. You can like put a mixture of static grass and lengths in the thing and the hopper, dude, and just <laughs> for days. Yeah, that's the biggest thing that bugs me about most tufts 
you buy in the store. It's like, this is a three millimeter grass tuft. So it doesn't look natural because it looked like someone went over this weird little mound with a lawnmower. It's like, meow. Everything is the exact same height in this weird oval shape. It's like, that don't look right. <laughs> I don't agree necessarily. No, that's because you're fine. wrong. <laughs> well, it could work well if you add a bunch of stuff so the height has other stuff around it that okay. works. Yeah, 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 yeah. But if you're just like... What most of us do is like, all right, he's got this stony base here. I'm going to pull one little tuft right up here. Bloop. And that's it. Yeah. And that's what we do on our bases. Looks especially weird on a stone base. Yeah. Well, a well. little bit. I was going to take some of our awesome Polak ones, but then I just got lazy oh, and just yeah. rip off just a tiny little bit off that yeah, sheet. And put it in the cracks. Yeah. And the cracks. Hell yeah, dude. That, that would be if I was really wanting to be a cool boy. So. What are you going to buy? If anything. Well, I'm looking at lights uh, this this stuff Intellitech uh, lights or a different yeah. variety oh yeah we're gonna go with the good stuff because i've seen it in person okay these are nice just because they don't take up this much v- vertical space mm-hmm. typically soft lights are really big really and we big. have you know we have short ceilings here in the basement you know yeah. residence so but anyways that's yeah. not hobby stuff though that um hobby stuff in particular good time for that though yeah it's always on sale is it yeah oh shit i I made a list last night i checked twice i started a shit to do list hey answer my question you check it twice i haven't checked it twice yet (laughs) okay (laughs) anyways moving on um i started a shit to do list um and then somehow the call it you call it shit to do yeah nice yeah and somehow the shit to do list, after about four or five bullet points, more morphed into shit to buy. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I know. And I'm just like, oh, I need another microphone. I need a couple more uh, key lights. I need a new fancy big light. And I was like, damn it. Now this is just stuff I want to buy, <laughs> not things I want to accomplish. Johnny like, Boy's dropping 10 grand on Black Friday, dude. <laughs> yeah. Yikes. Um, but yeah, in terms of like specific hobby products and stuff, this is. Not really. I mean, I don't know. That static grass applicator, now that you said it. That's a really If good one's thing. on sale, basically any basing stuff that's on sale and it looks sick, I might get it. Um, I know that uh, Fernando Ruiz Miniatures FER is doing their typical Bright Friday thing where mm-hmm. they, uh, they take a portion of the sale and donate it to the charity and also it's discounted as well. Um, so they have that going on. Um, I know scale 75, like always does like a 15% off and it's like, you know, nope, I ain't going to buy your stuff. Still. <laughs> um, like you something better. Um, did you speak in the scale 75? Did you get your Kickstarter from them yet? Nope. With the, with the fancy paints? Nope. The instant colors? Instant colors. No, I haven't there. I have three Kickstarters that I have paid for. I haven't got the Nocturna shit. What? Yeah. haven't got it yet. I've had mine for like four months. I don't know where the fuck it is. I don't have it. Um, I don't have the Instant Pot stuff. And also that Wood Elf campaign. I like how you call it Instant Pot. (laughs) Instant (laughs) Pot. Instant Paint. And that Wood Elf fucking campaign. uh, Man, I have no idea where that is. That's like almost a year now. Um, Haven't got them yet. I feel like I I, I had to have got the Nocturna stuff. I had to have. The end paints. Yeah, the end paints. I don't know. How do you... Anyways. Anyways, yeah, I don't have any great, like, hot tips and stuff to buy for holiday season this year. I will say that I went last time I was up here. It was just this last weekend. 
Yes. Because I had to go pick up something from the source. <laughs> you had to. I had to. <laughs> and uh, I stopped at Blick Art Supply Store. Heck yeah, you For did. the first time in my life. <laughs> it's not that amazing. It is pretty awesome. Yeah. I looked through it. Like I spent a lot of times when I was younger. We had a, we had a couple of that, that came and went. Nice art stores in my town. And um, I spent a lot of time there. I did a lot of drawing and I did I did get all my stuff when I, all my architecture classes and all that stuff. I spent a lot of time in those places. So the Blick aisles and all the stuff they covered, they carried was very familiar to me. Yes. But in the same light, it was like looking at it through an entirely different lens mm -hmm. because everything I saw there, I looked through the lens of miniature painting. Yeah. You can really lose yourself in the acrylic product section like yeah. the gels and the mediums and like because there, there's so many different things that you didn't think existed and you can buy crackle medium you can buy liquid sand you can buy all this just with really weird stuff wizardry wizardry um i looked they have all their their like sable brushes out and stuff so you can really mm. tell none of them are good specific size there's something that looks solid i don't know how well they keep a tip and all that kind of stuff yeah. they do carry windsor newton and behind the counter the, they have series table, seven. they do series seven or behind the counter yeah oh, okay. i just saw that when i checked out okay, okay um but they have some legit stuff i looked at all funcy, funky different like shapes and sizes of brushes mm -hmm. like they have like like their smudgers and that kind of stuff mm -hmm. it's like oh different different purposes and i was able to like hold them and all that kind of stuff i did buy and here's something that i used already that was a bit life-changing and i was mostly because i copied you <laughs> so color shapers hell yeah dude um you can buy the cheap ones on amazon or ebay and they're they they look like a paintbrush handle but instead of having uh you know brush hairs on the end it's a rubber and they are come in different shapes and you use these for sculpting and they're quite small for this obviously we buy the smaller set they come into different sizes yeah but the ones that you buy that online that are cheap they're very like flimsy they're soft they're soft so they have a lot of give to them like the rubber is very soft and a lot of give to them well uh on scott's advice he said buy the expensive ones yes they have expensive ones at the art store and and how you know that they're better is you could just take them out of the package and feel and them you can touch them yeah firm as hell yeah firm as hell so i use those to do some gap filling and to create all these little stones around the base and everything. Nice. And it's an awesome two-step process. I used both the cheap and the expensive. This is something we probably could be talking about in the after party, but I'm just going off on news. Bonus content. Bonus boner content. <laughs> boner content. So I use the firm ones. <laughs> I don't want to call it that. <laughs> <laughs> you don't get any extra boners here today. <laughs> um, I use the firm ones to initially place the the putty, get it in the cracks and pushed around where I want and pull off extra. It does a great job of that. Mm -hmm. And to get the basic shape and outline. And then I take my flimsy ones and I go through and I smooth to the shape that I want. So they worked really well in combo. If I just had the firm ones, I feel like I would have struggled because they, it's like it's so hard to just get them it's almost like sculpting with like a metal sculpting tool it sometimes, is yeah because it's so hard yeah yep especially when the yeah when the putty is so malleable early on so yeah i spent like 70 dollars there that day and i mostly went there because there's a couple specific things i wanted to get my mom for 
Christmas and I end up spending a lot more money on myself. <laughs> so there is my holiday tip. Support a local art store if you have one and and not just a big box crafty craft store. There's one in Minneapolis that we gotta go to that has this amazing airbrush section that has this huge tome of just airbrush parts that you can just leaf through and they have them all in just little packages. Uh, you can find virtually every part for an airbrush you might have. Maybe not harder in CMEC, but definitely a Wada. Oh, um, we probably should have gone there before I uh, just ordered a new needle for my Wada last night. Definitely have needles, yeah. Because I, I, I bent my needle. Oh. You don't know how I did it? Uh, you didn't have the crown on. No, it had nothing to do with the crown. You, Having the crown on would not have helped me. You pinched it to do backflow. Nope. You. I will make a, a gesture with my hands, and you'll see if you can figure it out. Oh, I know you did. I know you did. I know you did. You got too close to the model? No. No. This hand is holding the brush. This hand is holding the needle. He went in on an angle. No, my trigger. <laughs> you're just bringing two hands together, man. Help <laughs> yeah, me come on. You're <laughs> supposed to know this. You suck at Pictionary. <laughs> Somehow, Charades, bro, not Pictionary. Yeah, yeah that too. Uh, I didn't draw it, and then you couldn't answer it. Um, so somehow, my trigger. So there's a hole in the trigger that the needle goes through to f- go through flush. The hole in the trigger, dude. Yeah, so you got to jam it in the hole. That's what I did. I tried to jam it in the hole. That's not polite. So <laughs> to your airbrush. Somehow my trigger uh, had had pushed itself up a little bit, so the hole wasn't flush. And when I pushed that needle through, right, that I didn't trigger. even push it hard. Yeah. And I've I've done more, you know nefarious things with my needle before that have not been the tip nefarious and i didn't even notice it until i was um like two days later when i was varnishing this guy and the varnish still went on smooth i varnished the whole thing with the bent needle it was just a tiny little fish hook shape at the end and i looked at it and i was like oh and then you pull your finger over it and you can catch it with your finger and i'm like shit yeah 11 more dollar dues down the drain on a new needle never like bending the needle tip yeah needles are fucking pussies bro they've been yeah. so easy <laughs> <laughs> all right welcome to the end of the podcast thank you for all listening to us go on and on about crutches and uh, i don't know other things broken legs walking without what the hell's wrong with you <laughs> i fell down a well <laughs> what when you weren't looking oh okay i fell down a well but you got back up again Oh, you're just, okay, you're having a problem right now. <laughs> My brain is short-circuiting from lack of tendy sauce. Oh, we need tendies right now. Soon, they are en route. Um, if you want to support the podcast, there are a number of ways that you can do that. Uh, you can support us on Patreon, where you get a variety of rewards, such as an extended episode of the ep- up the episode. Mm, really? Extended podcast. We're talking about fun things like cool models that we have seen in the last fortnight from other painters that we like. We talk about new things we've experimented with and how they worked out and how they didn't work out. And we talk about giving, we don't talk about it, but we give feedback to someone, uh, one of our patrons. Uh, and as a patron, you get to submit your models for our feedback. And also, you get to submit topics for us to discuss. Today, we had a topic from Nick Gunn. Nick Gunn. Yes. Uh, so that's one big way is Patreon. You can also buy our merch. Got this don't sick buy, one. You can't buy this one, though. Can't buy that one no more. Um, got this sick merch and also a new t-shirt on sale now featuring the tendies and the potatoes and the meats of the world. Um, sweet, sweet sauces. Yeah. 
You can also give us reviews on Apple Podcasts and wherever you listen to podcasts and tell your nerd friends about us. Join the Facebook group. Share your minis. Put paint on brush every single day. Yeah. And thank you for all of you joining the True Whip Army. Hashtag. Hell yeah, dude. True Whip. On Instagram and spreading the love of the ass phase of the model. (laughs) Spreading the love of the ass phase. Make sure you spread those ass phases. (laughs) Spread the cheeks. Spread the cheeks. Um, so thanks, everybody, for hanging out on Instagram and spreading the True Whip love. I think that was my last important thing that I wanted to share for all the goody peepees. Uh, <laughs> all right. Until next time, we will catch you on the flippity flop. Blah. Blah.